Hello, real life family and friends and uh, visitors. So glad to be with you today. I'm Tim, pastor at Real Life here in Montrose, and we are in a Christmas series called For God So Loved. Of course, uh, it comes from John 3:16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, Jesus. And so you see, Christmas is really the beginning of the revelation of the love of God that he has for his creation, for us. That anyone who would believe in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. And so we're talking about the love of God, that God so loves you, he so loves me. And that really is the most powerful force on the planet Earth, is the love of God. It's what changes us, it's what transforms us, it's what saves us. And so we just want to celebrate the love of God, you know, this whole month of December as we think about and celebrate Christmas, the coming, the coming of Jesus. And uh, as we do this series, this is my prayer for you. It's a prayer out of the Bible uh, in Ephesians chapter 3, verses 16 to 19. And uh, I'm going to pray this pray, prayer over us today, okay? I pray that out of His glorious riches, He may strengthen you with power through His Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power, together with all the saints, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. And that's my prayer. To know this love that surpasses knowledge. What is Paul praying there? He's praying that we, we don't just know something intellectually, or we hear certain words, or we know certain verses, but that we experience the love of God. That's what he's saying. My prayer is that you know the love of God that surpasses head knowledge. It's, it's deeper. It's way more powerful and significant than just the head knowledge. But this is an experience that God wants us to experience His love. And when we experience the love of God, the Bible says here, you'll be filled with all the fullness of God. And that's what we want, to be filled with all the fullness of God. So that's my prayer for us as we look at the love of God, how much God so loves us. And last week, we talked about one of the uh, actions of God's love, because love in, in Hebrew is ahava. And in the middle of that word is the word give. So love is all about giving. And so God gave, right? And so I, I want to celebrate each week something that God did. Love in action. What does the love of God look like? In other words, what has God done for us to show us how much he loves us? And the first thing that we talked about last week is he came. He came to us. The light of the world came into our darkness, into our mess, into our rebellion. And he came not to condemn, not to judge, but to save us, to turn a light on, to rescue us. For the Son of Man came uh, not to condemn, but to save the world. And so... Uh, that's why we celebrate that last week about the love of God. And he came to us not to condemn us, but he also comes to us right now. God is a comer. He is coming to us not to ever condemn us, but to save us. And it's just so encouraging for me to know that, that God is for me. He's not against me. And God is for you. He's not against you. And whatever you are dealing with, whatever brokenness or darkness 
or sin or addiction or hurt or pain that you have gone through or are going through, God wants to come into that place, into that place of darkness or brokenness or hurt or pain. He wants to come right into that space to bring light, to bring hope to you, to bring healing to you, to bring truth to you. And so we celebrate that God loves us so much. He didn't just do something in the past. He is still doing it today. He is still coming to us just as we are. So my prayer for you and my encouragement to you is just welcome God in. Welcome God to come into every part of your life, every part of your struggles, every part of your hurts and pains, because he is a present help in time of trouble. And God will show up because he comes to us. Not only that, but Jesus challenged us with these words. I have a new command for you, to love one another as I have loved you. And so if God loves us in such a way that he comes to us in our trouble, in our mess, in our sin, and in our failures, then we also are to come to one another the same way. So to love like Jesus loves is to not come to people with condemnation, with point, uh, pointing of the fingers, with anger, with uh, shame, but we come to them right in their mess, right? We come to one another and we love one another and we bring hope, we bring healing, we bring truth, we bring freedom to one another. We're not judging one another. We're not focused on the sin. We're focused on the soul, just like God is. And so may, may you be able to love other people this season of your life the way God is loving you. He loves you while we were yet sinners. Christ died for us. He came to us while we were in darkness, while we were rebelling, while we were in sin. That's how God demonstrated his love to us. And now we demonstrate that same kind of love to one another. Okay, so that's the big challenge. is not only to receive that love of God, but then to release it to those around us. Okay, now today I want to talk about, this is week two in our series of, of God So Loved. Another thing that Jesus has done for us to show us his great love for us is he redeemed us. He redeemed us. And kind of to talk about this a little bit, to be something redeemed is uh, that there is a debt to pay that needs to be paid in order to redeem or uh, get it back, right? And so the story of the Bible and the story of our lives is pretty, is pretty simple, and, and we all know it. We have sinned. We have fallen from God, and we needed redemption. We needed rescuing, and, and Jesus came to do that. But I want to just kind of spend a little bit more time thinking about that and, uh, and just challenging you with a fresh perspective. So we have in our world all kinds of governments. We have, um, like uh, where I live, there is a city. Uh, there's a township government. And then, of course, there's a state government. And then we have our, our national government, our federal government. And then there's, uh, you know, so there's governments all over the world. And they're all about physical boundaries uh, about regulating people's behaviors, about paying taxes, right? And, uh, and, but the government there, uh, if you're in the boundaries of that government, then you're subject to that government. That's kind of my point that I want to make. So because I live in Montrose City, I am subject to the government of the city of Montrose government, right? Uh, and also... Uh, because I, my city li is in, my, is in uh, Michigan, I'm also subject to the government of the state of Michigan. 
And because I live in the United States, I'm also subject to the government, federal government of the United States. So they're, they're, because I live here, because I'm under the, the, the boundaries or within the boundaries of that government, I'm subject to that government. So, but with the kingdom of God, when Jesus shows up, he's starting to explain a new government, a new kingdom, right? It's different than physical boundaries and physical kingdoms. It's a spiritual kingdom. And he refers to it as the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God. And there's, a, uh, and there's an alternative to the kingdom of God. You're either under the kingdom of God, its jurisdiction, right? Or you're under the kingdom of the world. And so Jesus is saying there's something way more powerful than an earthly government there is an eternal government, right? The governments that you and I are used to are about, are about money and geographical stuff and some behaviors and stuff like that, right? It's all exterior stuff. It's all things that are passing away. But there is a kingdom that we are a part of that's superior to all of those governments and all of those uh, policies and issues. And it is a government of the soul, of your spirit, of eternity, and that is what Jesus came to restore and redeem. A lot of people were looking for him to restore a physical government to the uh, state of Israel, for instance. To, to destroy the uh, physical enemies, the geographical enemies of Israel. But Jesus came to destroy our spiritual enemy of sin and death and the devil. Jesus refers to the leader of the kingdom of this world as the devil, right? Or he's referred to in the scriptures as the prince of this world. But he's kind of the head of this system of sin. And so you are either, according to the scriptures, you are either under the influence or the sway or the power of this kingdom, the kingdom of the world, which is the devil, the prince of this world, is over. Or you're under the influence and, and submitted to the kingdom of God. So let's just take a second to real quick compare these two kingdoms. So God is ruler of the kingdom of God, and the devil is the ruler, the prince of this world is the ruler of the kingdom of this world. Okay? And they have completely opposite uh, characteristics. For instance, in, in the kingdom of God, we see, and one main word that would describe the difference to, between these two kingdoms, is this is all about life. God is the creator of life. He gives us life. This is how you have life, and this is how you have eternal life. But the kingdom of this world is the opposite. It is about death. And when it entered into uh, our existence, it was all about death. Okay? Here... We are in the kingdom of God. It's all about trusting in God. But when we transferred over to the kingdom of this world, uh, this isn't about trust anymore. This is about self-reliance. And this is about when you and I took control of our own lives. Instead of trusting God, we trust in ourselves, right? And then we have these just characteristics. We see rest. God does the work and we rest over here. We see us having to strive to survive. In the kingdom of God, there is this idea of peace. 
this, this uh, style of life. But over here, in the kingdom of this world, we see the opposite. We see fear. When you read the beginning of the Bible, and you see sin entering our world, you begin to see these types of things happening immediately that were not even in existence. There was no death in existence until sin entered the world. Uh, there was no selfishness, greed, murder, striving, fear. Immediately you see Adam and Eve hiding from God, and we see these things happen right away. This kingdom is all about love, and we see in this world hate. We see evil all over the place. In this kingdom here, we have freedom, and over here, we have bondage. Now, the reason why I know that we know this stuff, but the reason why I'm kind of making it a point to just take some time and spell this out is because this is where we were. This is the state that we were in when Christ came to redeem us, to redeem us out of this state right here. Uh, also, we have light. We have darkness. We talked about that last week. We have truth. We have lies. And what happened was, in the beginning, in the beginning of creation, we were in fellowship with God. We were in alignment with God. And we were trusting in God and enjoying all of these things. The blessings of being under the kingdom of God is all of these things. Okay? And so we're under the covering. This is, like, I don't know if I would just kind of draw like an arc here. We're under the covering, under the protection of the kingdom of God. But then when sin entered the world and mankind, you know, and we see this through Adam and Eve's story, when mankind entertained this conversation with the devil and the devil's like, oh, God's holding back. No, you could be, you could be like God. You could take control of yourself. Um, you, you could be in charge. You could know what's good and evil. You get to decide for yourself. And when we, when we believed the devil's word, right, over God's word, we stopped trusting God. And what happened is sin entered the world. We sinned. And so we, we transferred over through our sin from the kingdom of God to the kingdom of this world. We transferred over by cutting off our relationship with God. We entered into death. Death entered into our existence. This is what um, 1 John 3, 7 to 10 says about it. Let me, let me say a couple other things first before I read that scripture. So sin, kind of what I want you to think about with sin, is sin is breaking the trust relationship that we had with God. So today... When we are not trusting or relying on God, right, we are, by default, trusting and relying on ourselves. And so what we're saying is, God, we don't trust you. We don't need you. You're not my authority. So I'm going to have myself be my own authority. That's what sin is. Sin is missing the mark. It's straying from God. The consequences of our sin... The consequences of us saying and deciding that we don't need to trust God, we don't trust God, we trust in ourselves more than God. The consequences of that is we sever that relationship with God. Sin severed the relationship we had with God. The problem with that is that God is the giver and sustainer of life. So we cut off our source of life. 
and death entered into our human experience. Sickness, disease, physical death, and then a lot of other forms of death, right? Relational strife, um, mental uh, depravity, a hardened will. Our souls now begin to be uh, fearful, hateful. We begin to be jealous, um, lustful, greedy, and we're striving and we're, we're clamoring for, for life. Okay, So this is our condition, and this is where we see how God loves us. I don't know about you, but you know, our human response to someone betraying us or leaving us or rejecting us usually is to inflict pain on that person or to write them off and say, I'm done with you, right? But we don't see God doing that to his creation. We don't see that God doing that to us at all. He does just the opposite. He, he doubles down. He gives all of himself to rescue us out of our own failures, our own sin, and our own trouble. And so um, here's what the scriptures say about, uh, about that. Dear children, do not let anyone lead you astray. The one who does what is right is righteous just as he is righteous. So we're talking about if we're over in this kingdom, there's this idea of righteousness. And righteousness is actually really being in alignment with God. That's what righteousness means, is to be in alignment with God. And so it goes on to say, the one who does what is sinful over here is of the devil because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. And then, and this is 1 John 3, verse 8, says this, the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. This is so awesome. So we have these two kingdoms, but Jesus comes to destroy what the devil has created here in temptation, in temptation, temptation <laughs> and causing mankind to sin and to leave God. And so Jesus came to destroy what the devil has done in his destruction. He came to undo that. This is the idea of redemption. It says, no one who is born of God will continue to sin because God's seed remains in them. They cannot go on sinning because they have been born of God. In other words, once we have a Holy Spirit and we are born again, the seed of God himself is within us. It's not that we're perfect. We never sin, but we don't live a lifestyle of sin. We are becoming more and more like Jesus. We are transforming and becoming more like him. That's what that verse means. So it goes on to say, this is how we know who the children of God are and who the children of the, of the devil are. Anyone who does what is right, uh, who does not do what is right, is not God's child, nor is anyone who does not love their brother and sister. So this is what it means to be redeemed. Redemption is only possible, okay? The Son of God came to undo this, but what caused this in the first place? Our sin... Our sin, our breaking of trust in God, put us into a different, under a different kingdom. And now the Bible says that those who are in sin are under the authority and the influence and the power of this world system. This world system is known as a system of sin and self and death. And the devil. That's what the Bible teaches us. And it says to us that we have all sinned. We have all fallen short 
of remaining in relationship with God. So we are all in this category until, until the Son of God comes to rescue us out of that kingdom of darkness. And so redemption is, this is who we are. This is where we belong. We are to have life and we are to have all the qualities of living under God and to have this relationship with God. But when we sinned, our relationship with God was severed. And the devil said, ah, well, God said, if you eat of this tree, if you leave me, you know, don't trust in me, you will die. And the devil said, ah, you ain't going to die. That's not true. And so he's lying. What happened was when we sinned, our spirit literally died. We may still have the body, but then our minds became, you know, affected. Our thinking became affected with fear, jealousy, and greed. Uh, our souls began to be hurt by one another and each other's sin. And our bodies began to decay. But our spirit died that day. And our relationship or our, our relationship with God, that's the spirit, it was severed. We died. We no longer had connection with God. And so Jesus came to reconnect us. Uh, and he used this word to be born again of the spirit. And so when we accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, we are undoing what happened and we are returning the same way we left. We left because we didn't trust in God and we return because there's an opportunity through Christ to re-trust in God as our Savior. So what did Jesus have to do to make this possible, to make to, to, to create a path of redemption for us, to cancel out the state that we were in because we were, we were bound, broken, in sin, without hope. Our spirit was dead, right? And we owed the debt of death. We owed the debt of death. And so redemption is all about paying the price that's required to redeem or regain what was lost. And so God himself came, Jesus himself came to pay a debt that you and I couldn't pay for ourselves, our very life. And when he gave his life for us, it opened the way for all who trust in him to be saved and delivered from the kingdom of this world of sin and death and to be transferred back, redeemed back into relationship with God and eternal life and all of these other qualities that we can begin to access now because that's who we are. We are no longer through Christ subject to the power of sin, uh, the slavery of sin, the bondage of sin, the, the fear. We're no longer under the devil's feet, but he is now under our feet right? And we are now filled with life. We trust in God and we can live a different life. The Bible says you can live a different life. And that Jesus came that you might have life and have it abundantly over the top, right? So Jesus says, this is not who you are. This is not where you belong. And we got here because we trusted in ourselves, because we, we alienated ourselves from God. That's what sin is. We're not going to trust in God. We're going to trust in ourselves. We're going to be God. We're going to determine what's right and wrong for ourselves. 
But we need to humble ourselves and see this is a kingdom of death and brokenness. And Jesus has made a way for us to live a new life, a life of trusting in him, relying on him and being filled with all of these wonderful qualities of life. And so Romans 5 uh, verses 7 to 8, one of the most powerful scriptures in the Bible. It says, very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his love for us in this. Did you hear that? God demonstrates his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ came and died for us. That's the love of God. God loves you. So here's a lie that the enemy uses a lot in our lives for Christians. And when we sin, when we fail, he condemns us. He says, oh man, God's mad at you. You screwed up. You're no good. And he puts shame on us, right? Shame on you. Shame on you. But Jesus did all of this in the beginning. While we were already in this state, he has rescued us from this kingdom of darkness into this kingdom of light. So those are all lies now of the enemy trying to keep you under his thumb, trying to keep you under his influence. You should feel bad. You should be afraid. You should be get even. No, no, no. Those are all lies. You are no longer subject to the devil's control. You are a child of God. You are forgiven. You are redeemed. You are free. And now you can love. You can be loved and you can love and you can forgive because you've been forgiven. This is the new life that Jesus made possible for all of us. That's how loved you are. You are so loved. And it's so amazing when I think about this because God, uh, too, there's so many awesome qualities and, and uh, attributes of God. Two of the most big, powerful ones are that God is just and God is love. God is just and God is love. And in God's justice, because it is his very nature, he can't be anything but just. In God's justice, our sin had to be paid for. And the, the results of sin is death. The wages of sin is death. And that payment had to be made. For God to continue to be who he is, which is just, this payment couldn't just be ignored. It had to be paid. But because God is loving because he is so loving of you and me, he paid it himself. He gave his son to die for you and for me. This is the revelation of the love of God. It started at Christmas when God showed up, when Jesus showed up, and he began that journey of living a perfect life for you and for me, knowing he was marching to the cross, he was marching to a death, so that it would redeem you, rescue you, rescue me out of our sin, our brokenness, our bondage, our fear, our death, and bring us back to life and reunite us for eternity with our Father in heaven. This is what um, one of my favorite scriptures. It's kind of like a Christmas scripture, Isaiah 9, 6 to 7. It says, for to us a child is born. This was the beginning of the revelation of the love of God. To us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, right? This government is on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no 
end. Hallelujah. Jesus has come to set us free, and this has eternal consequences, eternal blessings for everyone who will receive him and place their faith in him. So we can be restored in relationship with God, not because of our good deeds, not because of anything that we do. There's nothing we can do over here to bridge this gap of death to get back to God. There's nothing except die, but we can't die. Once we die, we're done, right? Eternally. We couldn't do anything. So it's not because of religion, not because of good deeds, not because of anything that we do or try to do, but because of Jesus's death. That's what makes it possible for you and for me to be redeemed. And I want to be, be clear for this to happen. Jesus has died for the sins of your life and of the whole world. But there requires one step on our part, and that is to trust in him. We can be rescued. Jesus has already paid the price, but we need to turn our trust over to him, to God, not to ourselves any longer. The same way we left is the same way that we are rescued, by returning, trusting, and believing in Jesus as our Lord and Savior, listening and following him in the path of righteousness and life, and we will be saved. We'll be saved out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. So the Bible says here that in Romans chapter 3, no one, this is verse 20 to 25, will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law, by good deeds. Nobody will be able to bridge this gap that way. But now apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. And here's the main sentence. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. This righteousness, this right standing with God, this relationship with God is given to all who through faith in Jesus Christ will believe, will trust in him. And so may you do that today. This is the reason for Christmas. This is the demonstration of God's love to you and to me. And so salvation isn't based on your goodness or your track record or what you can do or what you have done, but on the love of God demonstrated through the death of Jesus Christ and the resurrection that validated his sacrifice for you and for me. And if you turn the ownership of your life over to him, you declare Jesus to be your Lord, your owner, you're switching kingdoms, you're switching rulers from here over to here. And you're saying, Jesus, you are now my Lord. You are now my King. You are now my Savior. And I come under your authority. I come under your power. I come under your love. And that's what we need to do. That is how we are saved. And that is how Jesus says we are born again and our spirit is renewed with him. And so before I close, I just want to invite you to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior. If you're here and you've never switched your allegiance from yourself or your trusting of yourself to Jesus, I can't say it any more clear. That's where life is. And the Bible says everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So today is a great day for you to call on the name of the Lord. And if that's in your heart, pray this prayer with me right now. Say, Jesus, thank you that you came out of great love for me to rescue me 
out of my sin and to save me. And today I believe in you. I trust in you. And I cross over from this kingdom of sin and selfishness uh, and alienation and fear and brokenness and pain. Jesus, I cross over to you. I receive your love for me. And I thank you for forgiving me of my sins, paying for my sins so that I could be free and I could be alive and I could be born again. I love you. I'm all yours. Thank you for loving me. In your name I pray. Amen. Amen. That's what Christmas is all about. It's knowing the love of God and not knowing it up here, but experiencing it. And I'm praying that you are just experiencing his love right now, that you know that he is with you. He is for you. He will never leave you. He'll never forsake you. You are under new leadership, <laughs> the leadership of the Lord, and begin to experience a whole new life now of freedom and love and peace and purpose in him. You know, before we uh, wrap this up, I just want to uh, share with you a memory verse I want you to think about this week. 1 John 2, verses 1 to 2. says, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. There's only one righteous one, and it is Jesus Christ, right? Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. This is the love of God. And as I mentioned at the outset, not only are we supposed to understand and receive the love of God, but Jesus says, now I want you to love others the way that I love you. And so I think about this. How do we do that? Not just do, does God come to us in our, in our mess and in our situation, and we come to one another the same way, but we also come to people as Christ has come to us with a message of reconciliation, a message of redemption. So you and I are called to take that message to other people who are still caught in the kingdom of this world, who are still prisoners of a system of sin and death and brokenness and fear. We bring a message of reconciliation. We tell people that God loves them and that they can be forgiven just like we have been forgiven. And so may you take that message of hope to people at this season, love as you have been loved, God has sent people into your life to tell you this good news. Now you go to other people and tell them the good news that they are loved by God and they can be forgiven, they can be free, and they can be forgiven of all their sins and know God and experience his love. And that's the message of Christmas. God so loves you, he so loves me. As we wrap this up, I just want to read one final uh, scripture out of 1 Peter chapter 2. Uh, verses 9 to 10, that kind of summarizes this whole chart up here. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. So may you shine your light brightly and, and share the good news with other people around you. Let me uh, just bless you before I go. And I'm praying for you to have a wonderful Christmas season with your family and friends. 
and that you are drawing close to and relying on the love that God has for you and that you are a conduit of his love to other people. So now may the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you, give you peace in his name. Amen. God bless you. I love you.